0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Crucial Talks Podcast, where we believe if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people. I'm your host, Mike Saddam, and I have a quick favor to ask. If you could please subscribe to the podcast and review it, I'd greatly appreciate it. It really helps us build a community of people that are really interested in what motivates people and what drives people and how people make decisions. Now, today, I think we're going to have a really valuable episode because we're going to be talking to Brian Cunningham. Now, I think it's going to be valuable because Brian's like a lot of us. He basically worked his way from the bottom through the top and through that, through making his way from being a parking lot attendant to a CEO, he has learned a lot of lessons. So he's able to study leadership at every level and not just from an academic lens, but also from an operational lens. From all of his experience and his academics, he has written a book called The Leadership Revolution because evolution takes too long. And since we spend so much time at work, so much time with people, I think this is going to be a hugely beneficial episode because we get to not only learn from his theories, but we're also going to learn from his operational experience. So without further ado, please welcome Brian Cunningham to the Crucial Talks podcast. How are you doing, Brian?
1: Great, Mike. Thanks. Thanks for, for allowing me to be part of your Crucial Talks.
0: Well, now, before we get started into some of these theories you talk about in your book, can you tell us a little bit about you and your journey from parking lot attendant to CEO? Uh,
1: sure, Mike. I, I'd love to. But basically, you know, my journey, I don't believe has been that much different from anyone else's, really. I mean, I grew up and, and got into the workplace and moved through the workplace just as confused as most other people. And, uh, you know, but what was sort of driving me along the way is some of the things you talk about in, in many of your episodes, which is really seeking the, the deeper meaning of what are we all doing? Why are we here? And so that question sort of became the backdrop uh, for my experience through life, from an early age, and um, and most certainly into the workplace, and so it was that drive to discover sort of a deeper meaning for what was really going on, that that moved me into positions of increasing responsibility and increasing uh, opportunities to serve. So that's what became sort of the driver. I was a very happy parking lot attendant at one time, uh, but something kept pulling me forward, and that thing which I discovered much later was it was my desire to serve more and more people. And that's what sort of pulled me along and inspired me to, you know, go back to school on multiple different occasions and to um, really take uh, what I was learning in school and apply it uh, to my situation in the workplace, because that's, that's where I lived. As you said earlier, we all, most of us live a large portion of our life there. So it became important to me to not only study and understand and, and observe what was going on, but to integrate it and apply it in real life.
0: So tell us a little bit about your academic background. What, what kind of things have you studied that kind of helped you along this journey you've been on this whole, your whole life, basically?
1: Well, you know, there's, there's, of course, always with most people, there's the informal study and research and the formal study and research. Now, on the informal side, from a young age, Uh, I was very interested in understanding other cultures and cosmologies and uh, different approaches to spirituality and personal growth, you know, how people see the world. So from, uh, you know, an early age, basically, I was reading um, and studying and going to workshops and lectures to understand how other people saw the world. I was fascinated Uh, as I studied and and talked to people who saw the world very differently than uh, I had been sort of uh, programmed with my upbringing. So one track of learning and growth was a a lifelong study and practice of different self-awareness practices and experiences with looking at the world from a different perspective, enlarging uh, my awareness and on the formal side through work, you know, I was working at a hospital as a parking lot attendant and other frontline positions, and, and started to go to school from there and look at other uh, things. And so I was, uh, went to school and got a degree in nuclear medicine technology, and then later as an occupational therapist working in rehab, uh, and which was very interesting to me because it really pushes you to look at your interventions with a patient from a really functional perspective there's the theory that you learn in rehabilitation but it has to work for the patient in front of you otherwise it's just a theory just another great theory so through my studies as an occupational therapist and practice many years as an occupational therapist functionality is critical Uh, just talking about it is not enough Later on, I got into and was pulled into serving more and more people and got excited about the possibility of moving into a formal leadership role. Um, I was a rehab director, and later I I decided uh, to go back to school to get my MBA to understand really the business of of leadership and organizational uh, structures. Um, And I got to tell you, though, I thought that MBA program was going to be really dry and sort of business-oriented, but what fascinated me, Mike, is as I was doing my peripheral studying and reading around the assignments in my MBA program, I really discovered, surprisingly, that there is, as you very well know, so much leadership material out there that speaks to this deeper purpose uh, that we have in life. And so it was fascinating for me to, you know, do my assignments and, and, and understand what I needed to understand for that, but to see this bigger picture of leadership, that it really was not very different than the studies that I had been involved in for many years prior to that, the studies around personal growth and, and, and indigenous, indigenous cosmologies and all those kind of things. Uh, it really kind of emphasized the fact that there's not much separation between all this, as in fact, there is no separation. So, it was that sort of study in life and the application of that in daily life at home and at work that really started to pull things together for me and help me see things at a deeper level.
0: Well, because it kind of sounds, and it sounds very interesting to me because you've said a couple of key things just talking about your journey alone. The first thing I noted was you talked about being a happy parking lot attendant. And I think a lot of people forget that this drive. And I think it's a it's kind of a downside of leadership that this strive for higher positions has a dangerous side also that we we seek this uh, status in the corner office and higher levels and the title after our name and all this stuff. and sometimes with that and with the money and with the prestige that comes with that, people lose happiness and what I found interesting what you said is you were a happy parking lot attendant, but your desire to serve people Kind of pulled you forward, and have you seen that throughout your your career and throughout what everything you've done? That this this ability to be happy isn't really the the position you hold or the money you make, but it's really about being able to serve people.
1: Yeah, you know, Mike, I've seen it, I've experienced it myself. I've I've you know talked to other people, other like minded folks, and you know uh, you know your work is comes from that same perspective. But, you know, definitely we've also seen other versions of this where people have come at this from a different perspective. I want money. I want power. Even if they don't use those words. And then at some point along their journey, they discover that that was really an empty dream. And then they come full circle and come around back to service and they have these big epiphanies. And there's no, you know... Right way or wrong way to do this. It, it appears that uh, we all come to that same place eventually, which is about uh, service and compassion and love, uh, to be quite frank. But uh, for some, the journey is a little bit different. For me, it was always about service, and I feel sort of fortunate from that perspective. I really never had to do these battles around power and money, and you know, it was always about enjoying the people that I worked with and helping them to do better and and vice versa and seeing what else was out there, you know, seeing how, how I could grow and learn and serve.
0: Well, you have a great point there because everybody's story, everybody's journey is different. And I I do believe a lot of leaders end up where we are, which is about serving people, about that higher purpose and about it being more than the money and the prestige but yeah, everybody's story is different. And that's kind of what you said when you talked about your your informal study about understanding other cultures, about understanding how other people view the world. Because I've always said that you could have two people standing shoulder to shoulder looking at a situation, but they can experience that same exact situation at the same exact time completely different. So I think it's fascinating that not only are you able to talk to us about about your journey and how everybody's journey is different, but also about your your studies on how people view what's going on around them that, that kind of led you down this path and you took it into your academic growth and getting your MBA and all of that. But this ability to see that other people have different perspectives, have you seen that in what you do? Have you seen that in other leaders and in groups that this differing perspective has strong implications for how people behave and how people make decisions? Well, most certainly.
1: The interesting thing, though, is uh, there's not as many people out there who have done, you know, this level of, of, I would say, uh, work or have had this level of interest in different perspectives. When I first learned that other people saw things differently, it, it just, in a really interesting way, blew my mind. You know, well, wait a minute. I was taught that this is the way it is. And when you go to school, you learn, this is the way it is, right? Our whole educational system is based around that for, for you know, the most part. Um, but when I discovered that, wait a minute, there's all these different ways to view things, what do I really know? And you know that question comes into mind that maybe I'm not <laughs> as certain about things as I used to think I was. And for some people that might be a little scary, but for me, it was it was quite liberating to know that I did not know, and so the world then becomes this sort of wondrous place of exploration and discovery. Uh, so as I go about learning or working with others, you know, I have sort of a, a, a maybe a draft or a rough plan. I think we're going to sort of go this way, but I'm very open and really excited about the possibility of it going a different way, based on the feedback that the environment is providing or the people that I'm involved with are, are providing. So it's it, I'm never surprised when I think we're going this way, but all of a sudden, somebody says something that is really relevant to the situation and the effort takes takes a turn. And I'm very interested in following that, see where it goes. And many times, that through that synergy, uh, we create something that is much, much, more expansive than where we started out or what was in my mind at the time. So, but to your question, when I'm working with different groups of people, many times it's different people coming from their different perspectives. And many times they think their perspective is the the only or the right perspective. There are most certainly some other open people out there in this exploration. But when many times I see I'm working with people with very clear, definite perceptions about the way things are. And then my role as a leader becomes to integrate all of that information and those perspectives and to be open to them and to create, you know, as you say many times, to create a story in the workplace, to create a leadership conversation that is inclusive and integrates these so that people can connect with them. So that if we have five different people's stories, How can I weave those, find the the common thread that that moves through all those stories and weave a group story that we can all uh, attach to or or understand and engage with so we can move forward? So that's really an interesting element of leadership for me, which is to create a common story uh, from diverse uh, sort of viewpoints.
0: Well, I love what you said, because it sounds like you do believe that, because a lot of times uh, a negative leader or leader that comes from a small place or near view really thinks about people as problems that they have to fix, that they, they bring to the workplace, all these issues, and they've got to you know, rule with an iron fist to make sure they stay on the right track. But really what it sounds like you're coming from and the lens you use is the fact that you think that people aren't a problem. But people are a solution. And by using some of these common threads, by weaving, I love the way you say you said it, weaving a group story together from all these different perspectives, it's almost like what you're doing is you're bringing these different perspectives together. You're bringing people that may identify as different groups closer together so that now they can all work toward a common goal.
1: Correct, Mike. You know, and, and not only do I not see people as problems, I see them. My attempt is, my experience is, I see them for what they really are, which is the reason why we're all here, and that and and that these other human beings, you know, and sometimes in the workplace people will say, man, if it wasn't for those people, you know, that sort of these these jokes that go around. But for me, I see other human beings as an opportunity for me to learn and grow. They're they're incredibly valuable, not just to the mission of the organization, not just to getting something accomplished. They have value in and of themselves. And, you know, at at one point, you know, I read and read and studied, Mike, and researched. At some point, though, I, I found that the real learning came from the interactions with other human beings, that books can only take you so far. Research can only take you so far. It is through the interactions with others that real learning and growth takes place on both sides of that equation. So I purposely seek out other human beings. uh, And and in the workplace, many times it comes in the form of a challenge to work through. Sometimes people come in, they say, oh, you know, I know you're busy. I'm sorry, I got this problem. I'm like, no, no, come on in. What do you got? What do you got? I'm I'm feeling a, a learning opportunity. Some growth's about to happen. I'm looking forward to understanding more about who you are as a human being, so that I can understand more of who I am through you. So my experience has become that people are just incredibly valuable and inspirational and critical to my learning and growth, so way more than uh, just uh, problem solvers.
0: Very awesome because I love everything you've said so far and everything you've talked about about the the why of why you went down these paths of self-reflection and of study and of reflection of other people and how you use that in the workplace. And I really love what you said in the beginning that through your work doing rehabilitation with people, you came up with this idea that functionality is critical, that what you learn in books is great, but then it has to be functional. And that's kind of what I'm seeing in your book. And that's what I want to talk about now is you've taken all this experience, you've taken all your academics, both informal and formal, you've blended it together to create really this idea of functionality of leadership and how you actually operationalize some of, the, some of the ideas you've had throughout your career and throughout your life. So I'd like to go now to your book. If you could talk to us a little bit about generally what this book is about and maybe a couple of things out of the book that we can use right now that will help us in this, these journeys that we're all on. Got it. Appreciate that question, Mike. So
1: to, to sort of flip this around a little bit, I didn't really set out to write a book. I set out to serve. And, you know, just like you and many others, if I'm going to do something, I wanna, I wanna do it well. I wanna, I wanna learn as much as I can and help others do the same thing. So the leadership journey came, you know, is first, came first, the application of the leadership journey, the day-to-day interactions in, in really challenging situations. That comes first. And I eventually wrote the book as a reflection of that. So the book is not a theory-based book, a research-based book, where I take a lot of things I've learned in studies and, and cram them all together. Uh, the book is about is a reflection of the experience, the function of it. So I wanted to just make that point first. It is a book about reality, how things work, how they fit together. It definitely has some uh, theory behind it, developmental theory, various leadership theories you know you you see that in it but i want to be clear it's based on the reality of the challenges we face in the workplace and so what i was attempting to do in the workplace is move you know a complex organization forward while serving those doing the real work uh, in the organization at the same time my my underlying my my foundational goal was to help others to learn and grow uh, including myself So it became way more about just achieving an objective. That can be sort of easy, right? You just sort of drive it, like from an authoritarian perspective. Give me more, do more. This is what we need to do, command and control, all those kinds of things. The things that we are programmed to do as leaders uh, in many areas. And so attempting to move an organization forward while helping people learn and grow, while being compassionate, all these things that I was thinking about started to started to go down a pathway Uh, but it was interesting I started to run into into some roadblocks I would explain you know what I was trying to do and we have this effort but let's make sure that we're compassionate with each other and and serve each other and then we'd go off and we'd get some kind of negative result and so we'd reclarify talk about what we're doing why we're doing it all that right all those standard leadership things and Again, it would move things forward to a degree, but usually at the cost of something else. People felt not included, abused, marginalized. So it kept driving me deeper. What are the deeper drivers of a genuine leadership experience? What really is it functionally, right? There's that word again. So I just kept digging experientially, looking at it, staring at it, Mike. Uh, While I was involved in it, I'd be at a meeting and, you know, meetings are famous for the place where people get to play out their fears and dramas and power struggles, all that kind of stuff. Meetings are amazing training grounds for leaders. Uh, So I was playing with some functional methods to move those forward more, I think, uh, constructively without having to make somebody feel bad or wrong, or or dominating somebody else. People would say, you need to tell that person to shut up, or you need to tell that person to not not come to the meetings anymore. And that just didn't ring true to me. You know, I, I could look into a human being who was maybe confused and struggling, and I knew there had to be a way to draw out the best parts of themselves, the better versions of themselves. So this exploration, pulling all of the developmental theory and rehabilitation and and, and looking at things from different uh, cultural perspectives and individual perspectives caused me to just experiment and test things, approaches to drawing out people's best in real time, Mike. We don't have to wait a year for somebody to come for their performance review and to set a series of goals and monitor them every quarter. You know, we can do those things, but there are there are ways that we can influence people's behavior in real time, in the moment. And that became my, my focus. And out of that focus, uh, I was able to develop some, some genuine approaches that work, that are reproducible, uh, that are real in the workplace. And so I started to write them down, what I would look at what I was seeing. I started to include other people in, in our core uh, leadership group. Hey, what do you think about this? Did you see this? Did you see what happened when this happened? You know, when I asked this person this question. And so we started to to work with this and test it and test it and experiment. And so the model sort of grew from the real explorations and experiments in the workplace. And and again, the book is a reflection of that. I would would clarify a few different levels of leadership, um, but more importantly, how to move to the next level. And what prevents us from moving forward? I was looking at all these things. And then a month or two later, another level of leadership would appear, sort of emerge in front of me. Hey, there's more. I thought, okay, now I have this model, three levels of leadership, how to move through them, how to help people improve their performance in real time, how to help other leaders see the bigger picture of things. You know, and then a month later, oh, here's another level, I, I, I didn't even know it was there. And it started to become clear to me. And I would document that, we would play with it, test its reality, and then a couple months later, another, and then another, until all these 10 levels of leadership just emerge and unfolded over a couple year period. So that's sort of the genesis of the book. The book is a reflection of the reality of, of the experience that we're all having in the workplace. And it, and it maps out step-by-step step an approach to take this journey to more expanded levels of understanding and performance.
0: Well, and I just, I had a conversation yesterday that really falls right in line with what you're saying, because we talked about how people have been treated as parts of a machine, and in your book, you even talk about some of those early levels of leadership about the industrial age and things like that, and from that industrial age where we kind of just figured out that, hey, we can get really efficient uh, using, using uh, production lines and stuff like that, that if the machine breaks or a part isn't working right, we change out that part and everything is good again. And we kind of took that, that kind of industrial scientific management view and put it onto people as being parts of the machine that, if hey, if that person's not working right, we just remove them and replace them. And it kind of sounds like that's what you were seeing in meetings and stuff like that. And then you as you experimented, as you experienced, as you explored, you developed some some tools to use and some ways to engage. So as we kind of start closing out this episode about leadership and people and inclusion, can we talk maybe about two or three ways that we as leaders, can, can do this, can learn from your experience, actually use a couple of tools, maybe in our meetings or in our workplaces.
1: Yes. So there's a lot of overlays within the model, and maybe we can talk about those, uh, you know, some other time. But, but to get to sort of the point of it, the model outlines these this evolution of leadership from the industrial age to the information age to the knowledge age to the understanding age. You know, these are real things. And the outcome of the leadership approaches at that time are based in that level of consciousness. So authoritarian leadership is the, you know, uh, predominant leadership approach in the industrial age. You know, just get it done. Move it forward. You didn't ask many questions as a worker. So the first step is to understand the implications of the industrial age, the authoritarian leadership approach, and all of its subtle variations, Mike. The authoritarian leadership approach is about control. So we use control in many subtle ways. So step one is always to understand what's going on, the reality, and to understand what you are really doing as a leader and looking at yourself first, first us, Mike, And then then so how we help others is first us we need to understand and look at all of our subtle attempts at controlling other human beings and we can do that by these up leveling components that I that I outline in the book first understand that I'm trying to control others second let's focus on the issue at hand so a very simple way to get beyond my own stuff, my own control issues, is to work with others to understand the problem at hand. So So authoritarian leaders usually move from problem to solution right away. You tell me a problem, I tell you what to do. But we're missing so many opportunities to learn and grow from others and to include others. So step one, recognize your own need to control. Step two, do a simple problem exploration with a group of people. Get to the root cause of an issue. Ask people's perspective. When we do that simple thing, it, it creates a powerful experience for others and ourselves. So we start to talk and we get other perspectives and maybe, we, maybe it enlightens us to another possibility. And we look at the faces on, of, the, of the people that we're working with now. Uh, their heads aren't down because we're barking orders at them. Their heads are up, their eyes are bright because they're contributing to a cause. We might then, next step, do a little research together. Okay, well, let's look at some options around this. Now that we understand the problem a little bit better, what may be a couple solutions to, to address this? And again, people are engaged. Now people are sharing further perspective. And through that research, Mike, and through that exploratory dialogue, we have just elevated everyone in the conversation to the next level of leadership, which comes out of the information age And that we could term evidence-based leadership. By definition, we are seeking additional information, seeking research. So there's these simple ways that we can can up-level or enlarge performance in the moment. And all we have to do is first get our own stuff under control and then ask some very simple questions. Hey, what do you all think is the real problem here? And people will start barking out, you know, I think it's this, I think it's that. Well, let's look at it. Let's ask, well, why do you think that is? Let's go a little deeper into the problem. Who does it impact? What are the upstream, what are the downstream impacts? So we can apply these things by just enlarging the dialogue, enlarging the story, Mike, right? Creating a larger story, not the one that runs in our head, the more limited version, a shared story. And that automatically enlarges others' perspective. Not perfectly, but in the moment, we're able to see uh, things from a larger perspective. And so quite simply, we can move from level one to level two in 30 seconds in a meeting by first clarifying and understanding for ourselves as a leader that there are these different levels, how to move from one to the other, and then how to pull others along in this process, how to open up the door for them to step through. So that's a simple way. And and the model lays out all 10 levels of leadership and what the characteristics are of each level. And once we understand that, and they're very simple, we then understand how we can step one, step two, step three, just just move through the model and raise performance up to level three or four, Uh, you know, uh, uh, coaching leadership or transformational leadership, level four, in real time, in the moment. But we first have to do our work, Mike. Uh, and and it doesn't take that long. It's not that hard. I've laid out the simplicity of the theory so that we can start to play with it in real time, do a problem exploration, do a little research, clarify your purpose, clarify the purpose of the effort. What are we really trying to do here? And that cr- starts to create some alignment with a group. And you can more quickly start to move towards a, a more productive solution, a more collaborative solution and that's really very simply how you move through the lower levels of leadership and of course there's much more to experience some of the deeper possibilities of leadership but very simply recognize our own tendency to want to control others put that on pause for just a second right do a problem exploration a root cause analysis do a little research inclusively with a group Simply doing that opens up a whole new world of possibility and experience for those we serve.
0: Well, and it really sounds like what you're doing is you're moving from a place where you're looking at people as individuals to looking at people as part of a group. And if we can bring them, everybody, into a single group where they see themselves as part of this group, whether it's an, at an organizational level, at leadership team level, uh, even a a operational team level, you're looking at, at people as group members that all have valuable perspectives to add. And by doing this, it sounds like you are bringing them into the fold so that now when they're speaking, they're not speaking from a place of representing just themselves or representing the particular group they bring with them, the identity they bring with them. But now they're representing that broader group where you can have people from different, Uh, offices or different units or different disciplines bringing their perspectives in in a way that benefits everybody.
1: That's exactly it, Mike. We recognize and respect individuality as we create a group effort. Organizations, uh, the workplace teams, uh, they function as a group. So it's not about if we bring them in as a group. That is our mandate as, as as a leader to create this group synergy. Uh, And the other thing, important point about this model is it doesn't require the typical things like, you know, different leadership development approaches require. We need to do a three-day retreat. Everybody needs to understand the model. Everybody needs to understand the terminology. And in this approach, uh, right from the beginning, my effort was not to to convince others or change others or indoctrinate others. It was simply to help them perform better. So the model only requires that whoever the leader is, at any level in the organization, understand the material. I don't have to explain it to somebody else to pull them into uh, an experience where they get to express the better version of themselves. I just do it. And it's uh, simple questions based on a a groundedness in an expanded understanding of of leadership and, and human interaction. So I don't need to teach anybody this. I don't need them to, quote, buy into it. I just do it. And as a leader, uh, I'm able to, or you or anybody who understands any version of this material, will be able to create synergies in groups uh, almost effortlessly.
0: Well, and that's why I love so much about your book is the fact that even the title proves that you understand people and groups and how we behave. Because the title of the book is The Leadership Revolution because evolution takes too long. And I've been saying this for, well, for years, but really this past year I've had this podcast, I've said it so much that the people we're dealing with are the same that they were when we sat around campfires and hunted and gathered together, that we're still inside. We are still those same people. We have not evolved except the world around us has evolved. The tools have evolved. How quickly information is passed has evolved but we as people have not, which is why I really love this book and where you go with it. And that being said, we do have to close out this episode. What is a good way people can get in touch with you? How can they grab the book? What ways can you help others? Because I know that after this, people may have more questions. Where can they go? How can they get a hold of you? What services do you offer to the people that are listening right now that might want a little more information?
1: Thanks, Mike. Well, as far as services go, you know, I'm, I'm a leader in the workplace. That's that's where I live. Um, but I'm also part of the larger conversation, the larger story of leadership out in the world. So, uh, you know, I'm not a consultant. Uh, I don't do that kind of work. I work. Um, I'm, I, I lead and serve others. But as far as my mission, it is to share and be a part of this conversation that's going on that, of course, you're very much a part of people can check me out at my website awarenessquotientleadership.com i have a blog there and some videos and you know i'm just contributing uh, through that uh, effort i'm also on linkedin you can look me up on linkedin i do article posts there i'll be starting a youtube channel in the future but my purpose was really just to be part of the dialogue to contribute to this revolution in leadership you said it earlier we don't have any more time for for well meaning theories that don't take us into real leadership performance in the here and now. The gap continues to grow. The workplace is evolving exponentially. And as you said, we are not. The leadership gap is growing. So we don't have any more time for well-meaning leadership theories. It's time for really functional, practical action. So I'm part of that dialogue. So the book's available on Amazon. The book is available on my website and people can go there.
0: Awesome. And I'll make sure I put a link to awarenessquotientleadership.com in the show notes. And uh, definitely check out that that website with the blog. I'm, or, I'm on it right now, actually looking at some stuff. So make sure you check that out. Again, I wanted to thank Brian for his time, for talking to us. I know I got a lot of benefit from this talk. I hope you did also. And if you did, because it does fit with everything we're trying to do through the Crucial Talks podcast, I'd really love it if you had a chance to visit me at www.crucialtalks.com and connect with me so we can continue the conversation. Also, if you could do me a quick favor, just hit the subscribe button to the podcast, hit the five-star rating. I would greatly appreciate it. It really helps other people find these great interviews, just like the one we have with Brian. So have a great week. And remember, if we want to understand behavior, we need to understand what drives people.